0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keep Left. Uh, in the studio is John Lafferty. Morning, everybody. And myself, Chris Gaffney. Uh, later today I'll be tackling a question <laughs> raised by Fern last week and I hope she's listening and I hope the rest of you get something out of it. But first of all,
0: John. Yeah, good morning, Chris. Good morning, listeners. Uh, uh, this morning I was going to speak a little bit about misogyny and homophobia. Uh, misogyny, a quick definition, is the dislike of or contempt for or ingrained prejudice against women and homophobia is the dislike or prejudice against homosexual people. Every now and again, the mainstream media likes to express what it calls outrage at what it sees are instances of misogyny or homophobia. Now, uh, misogyny and homophobia are often the products of societies where heterosexual men have been in positions of great power and status and have subsequently used this power and status to treat women and homosexuals as lesser beings with lesser rights. This week, two more of these Australian mass media stars were the subject of finger-pointing by self-appointed moralists. One of them was Sonia Kruger and the other was Karl Stefanovic. Kruger argued that scholarship should be given on merit rather than on sexual orientation, as apparently some were being. Stefanovic, for his part, used the word trannies to refer to transgender women who robbed one of his colleagues in Brazil. Now, we all know the ruling ideas are the ideas of the ruling class. And this past two years, the um, bourgeois class and, and their media, because their media pretty much 95%, have discovered that transgender people exist. Forget Ray Davies and Lou Reed's colourful portrayals from over 40 years back, and forget all the transgender people who have been um, vilified and was over the years. It appears that the American sportsman Bruce Jenner's transformation from male to arguably female has triggered this rush by even people such as Donald Trump to fly the flag for transgender rights. Okay... So Kruger and Stefanovic were, uh, even if it was slightly, but I do believe they were out of line with the the latest fashionable views. And uh, the the views, I don't think, were really correct. Um, But Stefanovic actually saw it necessary to spend almost ten minutes apologising for his use of a bad word. One bad word. Meanwhile, and here's the he's elephant. trying a bad word. Isn't he? Well, yeah, that's no considered It's a bad is word, no? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you've right. got to keep up the speed on this stuff. Oh, oh, the, the, otherwise, yes. you'll be only here giving a 10 minute apology and <laughs> telling <laughs> everyone what a fool you are. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, as Stephen the Ovid, listeners know, is, know that already. Well, Stefanovich is a fool, but anyway, uh, he's, he's, he's now admitting it. But uh, yeah, you've, you know, you've got to keep up with this stuff, I tell yeah, you. Yeah, that's
1: right. right. That's right.
0: You know, and meanwhile, though, and here's the elephant in the room. Religious uh, preachers, uh, entire communities, and even entire nation states engage in the worst type of misogyny and homophobia. And the fashionable left, uh, certain sections, I can name if you want me to, say nothing about it. Here's a list of countries which still retain capital punishment, that is the death penalty, for uh, the slightest homosexual behaviour. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Yemen... Afghanistan, Mauritania, Sudan, or at least Sudan, or at least northern Sudan, mm. then there is northern Nigeria, but not southern Nigeria. Is that because the Muslims dominate in the North? East? Yes, that's because in the, the North is, is Muslim, and, mm. and, and we all know it's the elephant in the room, and it's it's because of Sharia law. So uh, you might say it's a coincidence, but all of these countries are Muslim countries. Similar punishments are also uh, carried out against people who commit the, uh, crime, the crime, as it's considered, of adultery, for instance. Now, we all know that in ancient times, biblical times, you've seen this in uh, Life of Brian, somebody who slept with a person other than their husband or wife could be stoned to death under the law. It's sanctified in the Old Testament. Uh, yeah, I know, but that was the Old Testament. That's 2,000-plus years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. But oh, I'm speaking about now Oh, I see. You know, of course it is. Uh, so, you know, there's quite yeah. a difference, you see. I mean, if this was in Christian countries or being done by Christians or Jewish people, you'd be make damn sure people would be making a big fuss of it. So we've mm. got to call this that for what it is. Yeah. Certain countries living under Muslim Sharia law today still have this barbaric practice in their law, including Saudi Arabia and Iran, that's uh, being stoned to death for the crime of adultery. Now, some people might argue, well that's over there, it's not over here. Well, right here in Australia, there are in fact some who officially and openly call for such laws to be brought into force here. And one of these people is the big title, President of the Australian National Imams Council, Sheikh Shadi Al Suleiman. Sheikh Shadi was born in Sydney in 1978, He's quite middle class. He spent his life studying the Qur'an and various Muslim holy books. He has been described by the Sydney Morning Herald as a moderate Muslim. He has even been invited to Kirribilli House for a dinner with the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull this year. And yet, Sheikh Shady over the past three years from 2013 to 2016 has made these comments in various mosques in Australia and in England. A woman must obey her husband in order to enter paradise. Give victory to Muslims in Afghanistan. Give victory to all the Mujahideen all over the world. O oh Allah, prepare us for the Jihad. Homosexuals engage in evil actions. Allah will send on them diseases they have never experienced before. What's the most common diseases these days? HIV, AIDS. That's so common and there's no cure for it. These are all actions that bring evil outcomes to our society. Women adulterers must be hung by their breasts in hell. Remember that if there is an Islamic State, the punishment of zina, which is sex outside marriage apparently, if they have never been married before, there will be lashed a hundred lashes. If they are married while they commit zina or previously been married and divorced, then their punishment is stoning to death. He's born in Sydney. He's aged 38. He's speaking about Australia.
1: Well, he's a nutter.
0: Absolutely, he's a nutter. Now, of course, we can laugh this off at Sheikh Shady is only speaking to a tiny percentage of the population. He's only a nutter. An estimated 3% of Australians are now said to be Muslim. This guy is born here. He's speaking about what he, and presumably his followers, would like to see as the law right here. And I've spoken to some of these guys earlier this year up in Melton, one of these guys who's wearing a t-shirt, Muslims for Peace. Mm-hmm. and had very similar ideas. And imagine if it were George Pell or Fred Nile or Pauline Hanson calling for this level of barbarism, killing people for the supposed crimes of homosexual behaviour or adultery. Well, of course, it would be condemned. Yes. And rightly so. Uh, now most arguably, now, uh, some arguably, most of the left wing have been negligent and hypocritical on this issue. This issue of violent Islamism. Islamism is no friend of the left and yet for the past few years certain sections of the left, who on will name if you want me to, have seen it as their primary business. Their primary business splashed all over, in fact if you always walk down the street here, you'll see it splashed all over uh, polls, etc. Their primary business is to oppose what they call Islamophobia. Now the late Christopher Hitchens, he made mistakes occasionally, for instance he advocated the war in Iraq, but he did a lot of good stuff too, Christopher Hitchens, and he said Islamophobia was a word created by fascists and used by cowards to influence morons. It really is a waste of time and energy to even worry about such a thing and certainly to make it the main plank of your concern. Uh, And until and unless the left starts to put aside this rubbish and actually address real issues of concerns to working class and underclass people, I think that the likes of populist clowns such as Trump and Hanson will continue to win over people who we should be winning over to our side. And I think we've seen that happening. Now, putting aside all notions of Islamophobia... There is a phobia which has become very prevalent in Western societies recently, and that's Russophobia. One of Australia's uh, loud- Russophobia. So that's fear, fear Russia. hatred, Russia. Yeah. Right, right. One of Australia's loudest Russophobes is the former Olympian Riley. Raylene Boyle. Now, Raylene Boyle competed in the 1968 and 1972 Olympics. Stay awake here. Yeah? And won three, she won three silver medals. Well she was given three silver medals. The so silver medal is what you get when you lose. To the winner, OK? Well, you came second. So she, she came second three yeah. times, OK? So she's a three-time loser. It's all right. So <laughs> she won no medals in 1976, and she chose to boycott the 1980 Olympics, which were held in Moscow, Russia, and she's been whinging ever since. Raylene has been very outspoken on Olympic issues and was criticised for labelling South African female runner Castor Semenya a cheat, a freak of nature, and it... These comments referred to Semenya being considered by some to be too masculine to be in the women's races. It was later proven that Semenya was female and Raylene was heavily criticised for her homophobia. This past few months, Raylene has been speaking out against Russian runners. It appears that some of the Russian athletes have been part of a systemic uh, doping regime. And Raylene had this to say. I don't know... Maybe the whole team needs to go for them to sit up and listen and say, well, regardless of whether you've cheated or not, you're within this party. You're out. I can't see in the socialist world, within control from the top, from Putin, that one person and their team would not be doing what all the others are doing. It comes from the top, Putin. It's long been known that they use socialist drugs. Now, for the record, the Soviet Union competed in nine Summer and nine Winter Olympic Games. They won six Summer Games, coming, three, coming, third, uh, coming second three times, and they won seven Winter Games, coming second twice. When they were beaten in 1984 and 1988 Games, it was largely because they uh, boycotted them or the winning American athletes were on performance-enhancing drugs. The male American runner, Carl Lewis, was given nine gold medals at four Olympics, two of them, Los Angeles and Atlanta, being held in the United States. Carl Lewis tested positive to banned substances, including, there's quite a long list of the banned substances, but it included pseudoephedrine, ephedrine, and Um, Carl Lewis was a drug cheat. Female American runner uh, Marion Jones was given three gold and two bronze Olympic medals, but was later stripped of them for steroid use. And Florence Griffith Joyner, Flojo, was another American runner who was given three gold and two silver. She died at age 38, and many suspect this was due to her heavy use of performance-enhancing drugs. Now, they are three of the most famous and certainly the most successful... But um, in nine, 2003, the United States Olympic Committee's director of drug control, Wade Exum, revealed that 100 American athletes had failed drug tests from 1988 to 2000, a hundred of them. Really? American satellites such as Canada, and yes, even Australia, have also had a fair share of drugs cheats, Ben Johnson and Dean Lookin, to name two of the most famous On the eve of the Olympics, the targeting of the Russian athletes, not that I'm saying they're innocent, but uh, this targeting constantly, they're bringing up the Russian athletes and people calling that all all of the Russians should be sent home. is another example of how how Russia phobia is being whipped up for political purposes.
1: Jolly good. Well, I didn't find that controversial. You said it was getting controversial. Perhaps it is to some. Well, now, last week, a fern, a listener... Pose questions which, and I assume she was being sincere in her question, but these are questions that are a question that's been asked socialists many, many times. And the question is Can you point to a successful socialist revolution anywhere? Now, the assumption being made is that if you can't answer such a broad question in three words or less, then that means that you'll never see a society in which the people, all of them, have control of the productive forces, the factories, the businesses and the banks. Whose interest do you think that belief would suit? Hmm. Let me make a few points first. Human society has developed through a number of stages, from primitive communism, when private property was unknown, and all was shared. This accounts for the vast majority of time of human existence. When humanity could produce a surplus... Beyond what they needed for day-to-day life, it led eventually to class, private property and the creation of a state whose job was to protect this unequal distribution of the surplus. The transition from one class society to the next more developed class society comes from struggles between the classes. These struggles are based on the development within the productive forces, the level of technology. As technology changes, so the balance of power of the various classes changes. We should note that not once in human history has a ruling class, whether it be slave owners, feudal lords or wealthy capitalists, have ever relinquished one portion of their power and privileges. It always has to happen by force. You may not like it, But that's reality. We should note in passing that most of the bloodshed in revolution is caused by the established class resisting social change that will affect their wealth and power. Secondly, this change in social systems and the domination of the new class that's come to power has never been done in one clean, single revolution. Day one,
0: you don't have capitalism Day three, you do. It's it's been, like but that. also the transition from feudalism to capitalism didn't happen overnight with one clean sweep. No, it didn't. The British capitalists, for example... <laughs> I mean, they fought... like in Britain. are still hanging around.
1: Well, that's right. Still that's war. right. We've still got med- medieval dregs left, left on, like the royal family. The British capitalist class fought the Civil War in the 1640s, but it had to stage another revolution in 1689 to finally establish its dominance. America had to do it twice in the War of Independence of 1776 and again in the Second American Revolution, usually known as the American Civil War. Full full electoral equality for all its citizens, normally a sign of a capitalist revolution, had to wait till the 1960s. Apart from the very short-lived Paris Commune of 1871, the Russian Revolution of 1917, whose centenary we'll celebrate next year, was the first in history to put the working class in power. Marx, Engels, Lenin, and Trotsky all took the view that you could only build socialism in an advanced capitalist state, in which production is at the highest level possible and the working people are the majority of society. So at the time, Marx and Engels thought Germany and Britain would be the most likely candidates. Mm. But the development of imperialism, that is, international capitalism, meant that the economy was global and that, in fact, international capitalism broke at its weakest link, to quote Lenin. Russia. Which was Russia. Well, where the, the but Marx
0: c- believed there wouldn't be a revolution because it was too backward. Well, well, that's right. Or not
1: a revolution as he envisioned it. That's right. Well, he thought it would come in the advanced capitalist <clears> countries throat> first. Throat> uh, but in Russia, the working class were barely 25% of the population the peasants were 70% and the government wasn't capitalists but feudal landowners. 95% of the people were illiterate. Because of this backwardness in technology and education and everything else, the Bolsheviks, who took power in 1917, knew that they could not build socialism in these conditions Mm. and that if the revolution was to succeed, it would be necessary for revolution to break out in the advanced capitalist countries if the revolution in Russia was to survive. Mm. For a variety of reasons, revolutions throughout Europe were defeated in the wave of revolutions from 1917 to 23, so that within Russia, encircled, short of everything, the First World War had seriously cleaned them out, invasion by 14 Western armies who were defeated by the military genius of Trotsky and his Red Army. But this backwardness and loss of productivity because of the war, leads to a tendency towards bureaucracy, that is, war communism, rationing, concessions Mm. to peasants, and Mm. these were unavoidable at the time. Mm. And the loss of workers' democracy to the bureaucracy was hastened by the lack of means of communication, transport and illiteracy. So within this Russian society, a bureaucracy grew up. The working class who had rallied to the revolution saw their democracy in the Soviets subverted by bureaucrats led by Stalin, who crushed democracy, killed all of Lenin's central committee, revised Marxist theory, and rewrote history to pretend that the Soviet bureaucracy had anything to do with the socialism of Lenin, Trotsky, Marx and Engels. Being Marxists, we understand that the material conditions must be there for socialism to be built. Such conditions were not present in Russia. It was only with the development of capitalism in the 19th century that the ideas of socialism became relevant. In other words, the ideas of socialism can only become relevant when the material conditions exist for them to be carried out.
0: Can I just go back to Fern's question? Mm. She's asking where we've been successful. Well, I'm coming to But I'm trying to explain why we haven't been successful so far. That it's not
1: a question of the failure Mm. of the theory in Russia, it's a failure of what the, which the theory is well aware of, of the material conditions weren't there.
0: The Soviet Union, whether it's under Lenin or later Stalin, there's still a huge advance on South well, yes, Russia. Yes, we will. Right, so it is successful in many, many ways. Well, in I some I mean, ways. In, in, they have a huge Except industrialization. It didn't, build, it didn't
1: bring socialism, and that's the point, I think. You,
0: you're think. taking a backwater in 1917 as Russia was, and by the, the 1950s, they're leading the space race. Well, this is true. This is true. <laughs> So the point about it is, is that you can't
1: build socialism before the material conditions for it exist. Economic realities are always more powerful than our ideas. Shortages, almost non-existent industry left after the war, famine, etc., meant reality tri- triumphed over grand plans for which no productive forces exist. Unlike them, we in the advanced capitalist countries, of which Australia is one. We have the resources to end poverty. We have the ability to house everybody, educate everybody, give control of our industry to the working class, our resources and our living spaces. We're able to save the planet and build a cooperative, peaceful world. The conditions for change are overripe in Australia, the US and Europe. The pattern of the last century has been that revolt in the third world would not be echoed in the advanced capitalist world. Mm-hmm. Cuba, Vietnam, Korea, even China were all extremely backward countries, so far that they, so far as their technology was concerned. Their foreign classes, their foreign their sorry, their resident capitalist classes in Cuba, Vietnam, Korea and China, were weak. They were dependent on foreign capital and power to protect them from the native working class and the peasants. Many of these revolutions were done by parties that were themselves already highly bureaucratized, like the Chinese Communist Party. So we have not had a workers' revolutionary success fully in the heartlands of capitalists. The Communist Parties, under the domination of the Soviet bureaucracy, betrayed revolutionary chance after revolutionary,
0: revolutionary chance. Um, but getting back to the point of success, I mean, surely there's been huge success in China. Surely there's been huge success in Cuba compared to what there was. Yes, yes, surely. I'm
1: I'm, I'm trying to
0: argue Especially why why days. we
1: haven't had. Socialism, which assumes a developer kind. doesn't mean say we no progress was made. So in you're this speaking
0: country. about a socialism according to the Marxist model which well, is that's, looking that's, at the advanced the is, working yes. class in Western Europe. Well that, the
1: working class is in power rather than
0: with uh, the yeah, different types of revolutions. Well, this is what I'm trying to it's point been out.
1: Many of these revolutions So we've not society. had a workers' revolution fully successful in the heartlands of capitalism. Mm. Um, the parties of reform that we have. Used to believe that they could change capitalism into something human. Labour. Mm. They've evolved into open supporters of big business and the 1%. Mm-hmm. Despite this, every case of revolution has seen the welfare of the people hugely improve. Mm-hmm. Hunger, poverty, illiteracy mm. were all eliminated despite blockades and continued attacks by Western imperialism. With all its faults, Cuba despite the U.S. cruel blockade, has the best education, health and security of any Latin American country. Mm-hmm. It was the collectivization of their productive forces, there was their state planning, and the fact that big business wasn't allowed to operate that made these advances for ordinary people possible. The, bureau- the Soviet Union, despite the fact it's of its bureaucratic degeneration, was, because of its
0: state control, able to defeat the fascists of Hitler with a
1: loss of 20 million
0: people dead. And they also supported uh, progressive movements in Vietnam, in Cuba, uh, the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. I think you've got to look at uh, different areas of society where we are strong. Health, education, food, housing and peace. Just compare, for
1: example, China... Uh, with India today, mm-hmm. in 1950 they were roughly yes, equal, equal right. standing. Capitalist India, no, capitalist India, capitalist China. Mm. Today, uh, because of the collectivization of productive forces,
0: China is way way ahead. India is still terribly class ridden. There's terrible poverty and starvation. If
1: you've been to India, you won't need any mm. convincing of that whatsoever. That's
0: capitalism. Marxism
1: and socialism is not like religion. Socialism is scientific not because of the moral value of its ideas, but more to the fact that it articulates the interests of the vast majority of humanity. Under capitalism, which is a society based on the division between the classes, where the privileges of the few come from the exploitation of the many, you will have a choice of ideas based on each class. The dominant ideology in society is, of course, that of the ruling class. This reflects the interests of the employer classes and the exploiter. This ideology will be in conflict with the weaker voice, which reflects the interests of the working class. We don't own the media. We don't control the uh, the radio, the schools, the parliaments, the state and anywhere else. So the weaker voice is that of the interests of the working class, and the, which is the vast majority of the world. The dominant ideology, which most people will grow up accepting as common sense, mm-hmm. not realizing yeah. that you know, oh, it's just common sense. What it is is a ruling class prejudice. The dominant ideo- ideology will tell you there's no alternative to capitalism. It's the that's, norm that socialism will always fail. In 1991, it was the end of history. That's communism right. communism rest That's and right. Peace. Yeah, that's right. The end of history. Mm-hmm. That resistance is futile, and that you are powerless. Now, socialism has not made things perfect so far, so we, the capitalists, will frighten you by cons- from ever considering an alternative by imagined enemies, Muslims, Jews, Communists. Some others will have you believe that the system can be made less deadly to the survival of the planet by gradual reform without social revolution. It's true, some reforms can make life better under capitalism, But this can only be achieved through class struggle. But the ruling class will constantly struggle to turn the clock back to wish away wages and conditions that were won by a and struggle. And that's the situation we're having in Australia today. So the working class will not achieve its aims. It will always have to fight for temporary gains and the ruling class will do its best to get rid of them. There will never be consensus between the classes. Why? Because the ruling class have a different morality, which justifies them in in their class position. What I do is moral. My exploiting of workers is the way things should be. It's natural and can't ever be changed.
0: Well, we have conflicting interests. Mm. Our interests and their interests must clash.
1: So we can't reach them, the capitalist class, by moralising with them, (laughs) by our morality. Because our morality is based on the interests of the poor the workers and the oppressed. Theirs is based on their self-interest. We are witnessing the barbarity of capitalism from the Northern Territory to the Middle East and America. We in the advanced capitalist countries must establish socialism for the sake of the planet. That is the democratic rule of the people over society and its priorities. We must tear it away by force from the capitalist class who promise us only war, poverty, poverty and eventually extinction.
0: Can I just say quickly that I mean, to, uh, next year is going to be the 100th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution. It seems like a long time in some ways, but if you look at it as epochs, it's a very short time. I mean, to move from slavery to uh, feudalism to capitalism has taken centuries. Well, that's right. And it's still, you, still you have slavery And that was the most societies. significant event of the 20th century. centuries and centuries and centuries. So, I mean, really, you know, it's going to... It probably, I'd like to be great if it could happen tomorrow. It might. But it and as, so, it as, a as Rosa
1: Luxemburg has put, either we make it through to socialism <laughs> or we will be confronted with barbarism. And mm. we see barbarism, where do you want to go to start? Mm. Yeah,
0: well, you know. With barbarism. That's right.
1: All right, now, if uh, I can, if anybody wants a copy of that talk, just ask me and I'll send it to you because there was a lot to absorb. But I just didn't want to give a three-word answer to uh, Fern. Fern, which is the way the way the papers like to deal with it. You wipe off something without... So I hope you understand what we've been saying there. It's nearly 10.28. Um, Annie is on the phones waiting to take your call. The number to ring is 94190155. Claire 94190155. We'll be back in one instant.